It takes a village to build a thriving career and family. How do you succeed? How do you make the best decisions wherever you are on your life journey? We all need relatable details and practical action from real people and situations to move forward. So join Isioma Asiodu Otuo on the Life Work podcast from Blazers and Baby, available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The Life Work Podcast from Blazers and Baby. Affirmations, roadmaps, and conversations for the modern African family. Hello, Hilda. Welcome to Life Work with Blazers and Baby. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Sioma. Uh, today, we, are, we have the pleasure of talking to Hilda Kabushanga Krager, the CEO of Man, a mom of one, a wife to an honorable man, and an all-round awesome woman and we have the opportunity to ask Hilda some tough questions on how she um, leads at work, her transition to motherhood and some tips that can help us succeed in the workplace as women and men at work today. So Hilda, on Life Work with Blazers and Baby, we typically start with a question, how do you take care of yourself? Oh wow! Okay, so let me see. First of all, my surname is pronounced Krager. I'll just put it out there so in case my husband listens, he doesn't think I, I ignored it when they said Krager. Um, let me, how do I take care of myself? I think for me, I would say there's two, two or three components, right? There's one, actually two. There's one that's physical and there's one that's emotional or mental. Um, on, on the emotional mental side, I think I invest a lot in affirmations. I'm a person who speaks to herself in the mirror, or speaks to herself at night. I even say no to much like negative thoughts. Uh, I've got friends who say, I'm always saying, mm-mm, mm-mm. but it's because when negative thoughts come into my head, I physically repel them with a no. Um, so from a, from 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 uh, from like a physical from a mental perspective, that's very important to me. So uh, mantras, reading self-help books, learning to literally hype myself up every day. Um, that's 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 how I take care of myself. Otherwise, I'd go nuts. I'd actually go nuts. Um, on the physical part, I think I've imbibed so many little rituals into my routine. So like, you know, I have invested in having amazing massage oil that I can use for my body. Um, I, I, I love things that smell good when I have a shower in the evening. I actually have two different shower gels. So I've got one in the morning that's refreshing and one in the evening that's relaxing. And when I'm, you know, relaxing, I'll take my time. I'll then like oil, my, lather my body with oil, make sure I feel good. Everything smells good. Kind of to wind myself, my body down physically and even myself to get into that relaxation mood. And I do it every evening. So that, that those are the two cornerstones of my self-care. You know, mantras in the morning and a relaxing routine in the evening. Wow, I like it. It sounds very, very intentional. And I like when you talked about you speak to yourself in the mirror and you say no to negative thoughts. So one of the, why we really ask this question is to provide people some practical things that they can still replicate yep. and customize to make to make theirs. And I can see that it has worked so far because it's not easy to be under 40 and be a CEO of a very <laughs> relevant company like Jobberman. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. About your parenting journey. Can you take us through that journey? <clears throat> um, so <clears throat> it's interesting because I think I probably got my got pregnant on my honeymoon. Um, and that didn't give me a lot of time to even just figure out my role as a wife, right? Like right when you got married, I was pregnant. And it was not like it wasn't it was like a difficult pregnancy in the sense that those my baby was never at risk. 
but I did have hyperemesis and I threw up a lot and I just didn't enjoy the experience. So I'd say the first nine months of my marriage were, were such a bad, it was such a bad time for me. And then of course from that, and, and I'm still working, I was working in consulting at the time. I think during my first trimester, I was actually staffed on a project in Doha, in Qatar, which was really, really tough for me. And then so I'm getting out of that, you know, trying to figure out I'm a wife, I have a husband now, food needs to be on the table. <laughs> you can't do single woman things of not, of not cooking. And then at the baby came and baby came maybe, you know, it was, it was like our, our best possible first year anniversary came a few, a few months, a couple of months before our first wedding anniversary. And then at the time I thought I felt really lost because I was like, okay, fine. I don't even know what a wife is supposed to do or who a wife is supposed to be. I just got him promoted at work. I'm like, okay, I'm engagement manager now at work. I need to figure out that part of life. And then there's this human being who just won't let go and can't let go because I'm, I'm his, I'm his B.O. and all. And it was very startling for me. I think during maternity leave, life was mostly good. And then when I went back to work, the real challenges started because if you think about like the way Lagos is structured, having to go through traffic every single day meant I probably didn't see my kid like maybe once or twice a week, best case scenario. And like my team was supportive. We're trying to make it work. We have marathons like Hilda, I wanted to go home by four today, please, please, please. But it still didn't work out the place I'd have wanted to. I think one of the, one of for me, like my um, signature turning points in parenthood was the fact that my breast milk completely dried up five weeks after I went to work, after I returned to work from maternity leave. And this is like me, I had had like, a, at one point I went to Paris for a week without my child and he had enough breast milk to survive on. So having to come to terms with the fact that, you know, you know, you're still a good mom, even if you're not breastfeeding. Um, parenting means doing the best for your child, but also the best for you because your mental health is important. I was slipping into like the typical um, postpartum depression phase, not even triggered by the baby, but triggered by going back to work. And so by the end of that year, the end of 2018, I had to have like some really tough conversations with myself and my husband around what's the long-term plan for this? You clearly love being an active mom. I love being involved. I love, you know, having to bathe my kid and watch him grow. But then my job was really demanding and something had to give. So I think I, I think probably like on the parenting journey, I'd been on autopilot until that point where I realized if I don't stop here and take control, define what I want to be as a mom, define who I want to be as a professional, I'm going to end up staying in this autopilot zone for four, five, six years, and there's really no growth. But I'll, I'll wake up one day and realize I still miss my kid growing up and I didn't do much from a career perspective because I was always too distracted. So I'd say that was the, 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 the first half. Second half was after I quit my job, spent some time with my child, figured out, you know, what our true bond should be. I was home until my child was one year old and I, I still say it's the best decision I ever made in my life because you, it, it's important to see that evolution. We can't afford to do it. And of course, Africa doesn't allow for maternity leave that long. We're not like some of the Western countries. But for me, it's what changed, which was a real game changer for me. It took off all the pressure around motherhood um, and all the uncertainty and gave me the confidence to be the kind of mom I want to be now. And eventually when I, when I got into another job, I was super excited and happy because I knew that um, I'd found a balance and I can always find a balance. I just needed that initial reset. You know that, 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 that's such a bold decision. Can you take us through how you, make, how you made that decision and justified that decision? Because you really came back from maternity with a bang. So let's... <laughs> I came back from maternity with a huge bang. And then, and, and my friends were very supportive. I think, you know, one of my friends who's... Um, who's a junior partner at, at, at the place I used to work. She was like, you know, don't worry. I'm going to get you in a project in Lagos so you don't have to travel. The part on the project was super supportive. Let's try and make sure you can get home. Like everybody tried, 
but and I, I always like to do this because this was my self-reflection that that everybody tried and everything we're doing was pretty much the same i had changed i had changed and at the time i didn't realize i had changed i didn't realize that even you know when you're at work and you can't pump or you're pumping in a toilet it affects you psychologically or not that our workplace is pumping toilets but you know at a client site or like at a conference or something and you end up pumping in awkward places that's just true um it affects you psychologically when as my breast milk was drying up and my driver had to make like multiple runs to come and collect food for my child it it messes you up psychologically because i kept at one point i was like oh crap i'm going to starve my baby i'm going to starve my baby um and then one of my friends because my, my my son had a dairy allergy when he was born he's actually just outgrown it now at two years old and I said, guys, I'm stuck. I'm out of breast milk. I think one time my breast milk got contaminated. So my, my nanny calls and is like, hey, I think this milk is bad. We don't have anything to, there's, there's no food for the baby. So I was like, okay, fine. I've run out of luck. I've run out of time. What do I do now? But fortunately, this friend of mine, she had imported um, dairy-free formula, thinking her son had the allergy, but it turned out she didn't. So like, you know what? If you can pass by my house, I have five tins of formula for you. Um, I, it's dairy-free, so I'm, I sh- should be perfect. And it was perfect. And, you know, I took those tins of formula home that day. I was really tired. I'd been up all night and, you know, with a baby and then I was, and, and work. Then I'd been at work for most of the day. And I was just so overwhelmed. But I gave him formula and I realized, oh, guess what? He didn't die. He's just fine. He's just as healthy. And I'm no longer stressed about having to produce enough milk. So maybe let me find ways to ease this thing off of me. So I, I, when I stopped, the, when feeding stopped being a huge challenge, I was like, I felt a bit more empowered that my son's starving, such feeding capabilities were not necessarily pegged to me 100%. Um, then the next step was, you know, how do I take back power at work? And that was, an, that was for me, was very, very tough because um, I, when, you, when you give birth, at least when I gave birth, it starts off an evolution in you. And you're not always guaranteed to land back at the same person you were before you had a baby. I've now spoken to many mothers about this, so I know it's, it's not just in my head, but the work I did no longer mattered, no, no longer mattered so much to me. I didn't feel as fulfilled in my work. I didn't even enjoy, enjoy going into the office and, and being with my workmates. And I think it's because from an evolutionary perspective, I had moved into a different phase of my life and that different phase of my life required for me being more true to myself, being more passionate about what I want to do, doing things I truly believed in because I, I now kept thinking, how am I going to tell my son to follow his dreams if I'm not following my dreams, if I'm putting you know, career goals driven mostly by financial gain um, and prestige above my passions? Like, how do, I, how do I keep justifying this? I need to come to a place where I'm being at one and honest and true with myself before I can be a role model for my child. And then I started like compartmentalizing things like, you know, what kind of relationship do you want with your husband? Do you want to always be coming home late? Do you want to be traveling all the time? Who's going to help your kids with homework? Is it going to be you? Are you going to outsource that? What does this mean? for If, if that's a family you want, you know, what does it mean for the decisions you make now? And so then what I did, I spoke to all the senior ladies in the office who had children. And I remember one of them, well, one of them was like, you know, she, 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 she had been very open about the fact that she hustles really hard at work. She misses some important moments with her children, but it's fine because her primary goal was to make partner. And once she made partner, things would get better. And I thought to myself, that's not me. The other person I spoke to lived with her mom. And I think her mother-in-law was super helpful and around. And I thought to myself, my mom is in Uganda. My mother-in-law is amazing and I love her. And she's always there to help, but she's also like in her, in her mid seventies. So maybe can't have a child independently every single day. And then the other person I spoke to really didn't like the role and wanted to leave, but said they were the primary breadwinner in their home. And so they had to hustle it through even with the children. And then the last person uh, had left the firm 
worked in industry for a while, had a child, and then came back at a partner level, you know, like post the hustle. And I was like, you know what, maybe if really I'm supposed to be in this company, this could be a path for me. Let me first go and, and figure out what I want my family to look like, what I want the early years of, of our family and our children to look like. If it so turns out I'm meant to come back to consulting later on, there's, there's a role model here that shows me that there's an opportunity. But if it doesn't, because none of my blueprint fits with everybody else who's pushing through this, um, I'm sure I'll, I'll be successful anyway, because at that point, I built a strong enough foundation for my career. Wow, Hilda, I like the bit about, you know, consulting other people and really matching what's the su- realizing that their own definition of success is quite different from yours. So yeah. conversation with yourself, then also consulting other people ahead of you. And shout out to your friend that gave you the dairy free things of milk because she unlocked, right? <laughs> she unlocked an, a different level of awareness and freed up some of the pressure you were putting yourself on that so shout out to her i don't know her name but thank you we need those kind, yeah. of, those kind of friends um, yes we do let's talk about how did you get the ceo job for Jobberman? <clears throat> so i want to say it was a combination of preparedness meeting luck no what, what do they say luck is when opportunity meets preparedness right um so I, it was luck because again when i left my consulting job so i was doing a bit of freelance consulting i didn't i wasn't in zero i think i was going to tell maybe like i had two clients i'm going to to vi like once or twice a week because i, I needed for me so um being financially independent is a huge it's a huge thing for me um and i needed to know that i'm still bringing in something you not know, i can save or i can spend or i'm being economically productive and but at the same time i said i want to be very very clear about what i was doing next because from my diagnostic of my situation, I realized that the only way motherhood and career would work for me is if at any one time I was working deliberately on an area, a passion area for me, right? So I'm not working because of the money or because of prestige. I'm working because I'm truly passionate about that. And the, the area I picked in this case was human capital development. I have many passions, but they're all expressed in different ways. I'd work, even at, even in consulting, I'd spent a, a lot of my time doing human capital development product, projects. So it's, it's a passion area for me. And then I was like, you know what? If you want to do something, be very deliberate. And I give this advice to people who talk to me. Be very deliberate about what, what you want to do. I changed my LinkedIn to reflect that, you know, looking for opportunities in human capital development. I'm very passionate about solving Africa's talent conundrum. Like I literally went on, everybody who asked me said, this is what I want to do. And so eventually um, when 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 Jobman at the time had just sold, the co-founders had sold out and had left and the new management team. So Jobman is owned by Ringe One Africa Media, Rome Africa, which is a subsidiary of Ringe in Switzerland. So they were looking for a new management team and a new CEO specifically. And because my LinkedIn was so clearly articulated, like what I wanted to do, and of course my qualifications are there as well, um, I just got an inbox saying, hey Hilda, um, I've looked through your profile. I'm very, very, I've got an opportunity that I'm very, very sure you'd enjoy. You'll be running a PNL. You'll be working on the, one of the biggest human capital challenges you can think about. And already I was intrigued. I was like, oh, wow, this is something I want to do. And so we had the conversations. It was very casual. I never had to do an application. Not that it was very casual, but I didn't do an application because they reached out to me. We had a couple of coffee chats. 
eventually did more of a formal recruitment process. And I think I st- my first day of work was June 10th, which is my son was 13 months old at the time. So they, I, they actually got in touch with me a little after my son's first first year birthday, which for me is another sign about like, this is it because I'd, I, again, my conversation with myself had been, I don't want to take up a job before my, my son is one year old. And literally right after I turned one, they came about. And along the way, it's not like I didn't get job offers. I got job offers to be a CEO of something, to be a head of something, to join other consulting firms. But I kept on saying, like the consulting firm is very clear, like I've left consulting for a reason. I am not ready to go back at this time. For the other opportunities, like I'm very clear about what I'm looking for. I want to work with human capital development. If you have a role in this area down the line, happy to chat to engage again. But I, I turned down very, very many roles because I was sure that I needed for, for, for motherhood to work for me, motherhood and, and, and balancing life and, and uh, my career and my home, I have to be very passionate about my work. You mentioned around financial empowerment, economic empowerment is very key to you. And you actually, even in the period where you had quit consulting and mm-hmm. spending a lot of time with your family, you actually created time in, your, in that space to still do things that gave you some like a financial inflow, mental step stimulation, and you are going out at least twice in a week. I think that's yeah. very key. And that's something that most career or corporate women, I don't think they, they believe that there's such opportunities available to really, you know, have a self-driven, like flexibility, um, yeah. you know, in jobs and in, in those kind of, it's almost like it's all or nothing. Is it that you're on a nine to five fully five days a week or you are doing nothing? Zero. Or, or you are zero. And then when I mean zero, um, you maybe decide to go into business, right? And all that. So it's very interesting that that bit in between, I'm sure you had to, as a freelancer or something, there had to be some kind of structure and you must have had credibility to be able to um, have some consulting, flexible deals like that. No, um, definitely. Yes, indeed. So it's very important to have credibility and you said you have, you know, have had the foundation and everything to make this kind of decision. So as you develop yourself, you are actually growing your power. You're actually, um, you're actually investing in the ability to have your own to power. Earn. Yeah, to exactly. Yeah. And you have to be very clear about your skill sets, right? So I think for me, what was very easy, because consulting teaches a very particular toolkit, but even you looking at your background, you have a very particular toolkit. If you're very clear on the value you bring to the table, you're able to package it in ways that make sense to other people. And the, in these days of technology, there's so many global platforms for freelancers. I think one of my, actually, and it's interesting because during that time, one of my, um, two of my products were from a referral from referral so one do good work for somebody because it's bound to, to trickle down the line one was actually even from my former company so because i guess i had not left with a bad reputation they still trusted i could do some work with them and then event then the third one was from an online platform i literally just signed up and i put my cv and and somebody reached out so networking is important understanding your skills is also important yeah and doing a good job wherever you are is important because those people refer you others will give you they'll give you opportunities Indeed, in, indeed. So let's talk about negotiating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so did you, you know, you said they reached out to you. So did that give you leverage to negotiate or it, how did you manage? Yeah. yeah. It did. Uh, honestly, I think they're very, it's a very good company. I'd say like um, working with the Rome team is amazing because it's, everybody's very high on empathy. I didn't negotiate. I think eventually I got the take home that I wanted. I said, I need X, uh, X, X amount to make, make it work. I need to take home X amount in order for this to work. And I also said, um, until my kid is, you know, one and a half, until I'm comfortable, I'll be taking Friday afternoons off 
spend with him, take him to like, you know, a baby class or whatever, but I'm off from Friday at midday. I think now a year later, I'm off from Friday at two, which is fine. It's, it's me controlling the pace anyway. It's not like I have to go back and negotiate, but I was able to get into the workplace with that, with knowing full well that even if things get really tough, I have Fridays to spend with my child. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm able to take home the, 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 the kind of, <clears throat> take home what I need financially to make this thing work. And then everything else just kind of fell into place because I think one of the things you, I didn't realize at the time, but now I do, is that when you're the CEO of a business, you're the last buck. You can structure your life in any way it, it, you want, as long as it makes sense to your team and helps them be productive. Like nobody is going around expecting me to find out what time I went to work. That's that's on me, and that that even highlights the importance of being um, being an effective individual contributor before you get into management. Because once you get into management and you're the one making all the rules, if you've not mastered self-efficiency, if you cannot be an effective individual contributor, then everything falls flat. So like now, when I even think about my negotiation at the time. A lot of things that I was worried about, like you know, this time off on Friday, it, I should not. I didn't. I didn't need to spend that much time. As a CEO, you're empowered to, to to allocate your time as you see fit, for the best of the business and yourself. Okay, so I know you celebrated your first anniversary as a CEO. Congratulations on that. So Thank you. What is a life of a CEO like, really? What is it like? What are you responsible for? What skills? Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, go ahead. For what skills are really necessary? And what does success mean for the CEO of Jebberman? Okay. So let me see. What are you responsible for? You're responsible for everything. Everything. Do you know how when you buy a plot of land, right? They put, well, of course, there's borders around your land, right? And everything in between those borders is yours. You're in charge of it. If there's a if there's a locust outbreak in your plot of land, it's you. If you find gold in your plot of land, it's you. Every that plot of land is you. That's the same thing with the CEO. The entire plot of real estate belongs to you. Um, and that's why it's very, very important to, to have a strong team because you're not going to get everything done without your team, right? You really don't have the capacity to oversee everything. And I would say, practically speaking, like, of course, I'm in charge of revenue. That's a huge thing, huge um, top line responsibility is a company bringing in money. Um, and and it's, this is two parts. On the one hand, I have to motivate my sales team, structure it right, do the right processes, the right um, sort of upfront thinking, the right tools to help my sales team survive. But also on top of that, I, in the organization, have to be the best salesperson because I have to be a role model. If I'm saying there's growth in the market, I can't say, you know, why aren't you guys bringing in revenue when I'm doing nothing? So there's a huge business development obligation on me to role model what the sales team should be doing. That's the first thing. Then they would say there's an operations aspect to it, where it's the, day, the, the things behind the sales. So customer service, sales operations, marketing, product development, just more tech, I guess that's a more technical thing, but still yeah, tech, uh, product development, all those things come together to make the sale happen. If you look at Jobberman, right, we, we're, it's, it's mostly a website. So a lot of product stuff is happening there. A lot of marketing stuff is happening there. Um, you're responsible for that as well. You're responsible for like senior stakeholder management. So our large clients, for example, are typically my key, my, my, I'm, I'm the key account manager for them. I'll be calling people like, you know, if you're head of HR in a bank and you're a client, I'm, I'm done calling you, right? I can't send some, so I can't send somebody else to call you. So a lot of it around stakeholder management, both internally and externally. So I'll say externally, customers, clients, partners, 
internally our boss we're part of a really large organization right now um with, with, after the buyout um you know how am i handling the group ceo how am i handling anybody else from ringe i get to interact with our sister companies in kenya and ghana and uganda and senegal you know we've got a relationship there so i'll be the one managing that on behalf of jokerman and then internally right like what does a team look like how are you empowering everybody to 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 um to get to what what they need to do how are you managing those stakeholders you have how do you make sure your um your customer your, your 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 staff is happy like what's the employee value, employee satisfaction like what's your employee value proposition does everybody understand the mission and the vision of the organization it's a lot it's a lot like i could go on and on and that's why the most important thing you have to do is build a good team yeah and and and, and like a lot of prioritization and management or and productivity definitely in, definitely in that, in that in that in that bucket to help you succeed in that bucket so now let's exactly go, so how, what skills from ceo do you transfer to being a mother what skills what motherhood skills has have helped you succeed as a ceo because i think um yeah, so for me, I'd say my motherhood skills definitely have helped me succeed as a CEO. Like, I, I I believe in authentic leadership and not being somebody you're not. And so, like, I'm an empathetic person naturally. I'm I really, you know, I'm the person who, when I was growing up, always called me mother goose. The longest time in my career, I tried to hide that and have this tough persona or quiet persona. I don't know. I probably was clearly wasn't successful. But now at work, I actually lead with empathy first. I think about you know the things I want for my child, the things I want for my family, and I and I and I reflect on that. For my staff, you know, what are their dreams? What are their hopes? They have children. They want to do these things as well. How do I make sure that they're empowered to build this company with me, so they can have the best possible outcomes for their families? I think that's my rule, my governing thought, and it's assisted by the other other one, which is you know being very performance oriented. If you want to get someone as a company, you have to have certain perform, you have to have certain um, benchmarks and certain minimums that you do not tolerate. And I think one of the things that's helped me the CEO is keying in, being very in tune to that and saying, you know what, this is not the way I do things. I expect this quantity or this quality. If I don't get this quality, we're going to do it again and again and again until you learn. Um, or if it's not working out, try a different role. It's not working out, we'll get somebody else because we're trying to go somewhere. And in order to meet that, you have to be extremely performance driven. So I'd say I lead I lead a, a, it's a it's a blend of empathy, performance driven empathy, let's put it that way. Um, when it comes to how my CEO skills are transferring to the home, definitely being organized and structured. That's a big one. Um, <clears throat> you know, knowing what we're going to eat, making sure you have groceries on time, making sure your kid has a schedule, all those things play into that. Making sure your nannies have a, the, the cleaners have a schedule, that, that, that's helped a lot. And the other one I would say is delegating, like being okay with not having to do every single thing for myself. Um, like for example, now during this lockdown, uh, we had started, uh, we had started homeschooling, like with Zoom with my son's school. And then after two weeks, I think we, after one week we dropped out because, you know, I was like, it's too much for me. I can't be working and I'm teaching this kid on Zoom. And then eventually I decided, you know what, delegate this thing to the nanny. Our nanny is quite learned, like she speaks good English, she can read and write. It's like, delegate this thing to the nanny. Guess what? It's been 10 weeks now. Guy is learning every day happily. So I was the bottleneck because I'd failed to delegate. So being able to also translate some of that, um, the CEO skills into the home has been super helpful. Fabulous. So your guardian mentioned some people in your village. I wanted to actually ask your, what will make up your support system to make you function <clears throat> as a CEO and as a mom at home? I would say as a, as a, as a mom at home, my husband definitely, I've got a nanny and a cleaner, so two people um, as well. My extended family, so my in-laws, my sisters-in-law, um, one of my sisters-in-law actually lives quite close to me, so like my kid can go and play there sometimes, which is just super useful. 
my siblings, my my friends in Uganda, they're not there physically, but from like if I think about emotional support and who I ask questions when I'm when, when I need support about either motherhood or whatever, I think typically all those people are in Uganda. <laughs> so I'm glad that me being away has not made them disappear from my life. At at work, my management team is a huge pillar of support, and I think a year in I can get to a place where I can say I have the management team I want. Um, I have a very very strong COO. So like a lot of these marketing products analytics things that I I would not have time to do well in depth I know that I can I can trust him to make sure it's fine and I'll get the details I need to without having to go into the weeds of things I have an amazing HRO and people are such a, like talent is literally the number one priority of any company especially if you're a talent company so I'm glad that I've got her as well and between the two of them uh, and a few other people as well ahead of sales uh, the entire management team really but at least I feel like I can sleep at night because when I speak to somebody on my team about getting something done, I can trust that it will get done. So, how do you support women in the workplace, and how do you about <clears throat> man um, inclusive and inclusive workplace? I would say for me, um, I believe. So, some people say, "Oh, we don't see gender." We hire everybody, but that's not my perspective. I think that if we want to, so we, we did some research last year that showed that, for example, in Nigeria, the average acceptance rate is two percent, but if you control for women only, it's one point seven three percent, which means straight from getting in, um, women are disadvantaged. So from for me, from an inclusive perspective, I believe that one, you need to be deliberate about hiring women. Set a quota if you need to have deliberate targets, but you, if you're not deliberate about hiring women, it's easy for them to slip through the cracks. So hire women first thing. Second thing is once women in the in, in the workplace, you have to build a supportive ecosystem or infrastructure for them, right? I think like in the year of joint job man, we now have like a pumping room, a mother's room for nursing. Um, moms can close at three. Um, if you have like an emergency and your child comes to with you to work, you can bring your child to work, and it's like a system. You know how how, the, how you'll be supported while they're there. So those things I've done deliberately because I know that if you want women to stay in the workplace, you have to you have to those, those enablers are very very important. Um, and then promote women deliberately when you see opportunities. You know, be 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 proactive about giving women a chance to apply for them, and if they get into new roles, of supporting them as well. So for me, I believe in the end-to-end -end transition, and then I also believe in career growth for women. So there's been people who've left my team, for example, where I've been really happy. I'm like, you know, what? I'm so happy for you because you've been in this organization for the last five years, knowing what you want to do. You need to do something new. Um, so I'm, I'm, I also love the fact that when women are bold enough to say, I need to leave this role right now, I'm getting to a new season of life. I'm more than happy to support everybody. Every female who's left job man knows that I've offered to give them a handwritten recommendation. I've offered to help them if they've done it being to private practice. I've offered to give them um, their first contract, for example, if you're doing work that we would be interested in. Because I believe that women empowerment goes beyond just having an employee that you treat like they're your slave, never leave me. So it's end to end, bringing them in, creating an environment, enabling environment while they're there, promoting them, and then helping them leave to better opportunities when the time is right. Thanks, Hilda. You mentioned authentic leadership earlier when we were speaking and empathy. So I would like to, I think this is the last question that I have to ask around your work, your, your, your practices at work, emotional expression. You know, typically mm -hmm. people say women are very sensitive. They get so emotional about things at work. So in mm -hmm. your role, how does that play as an empath? How do you express your emotions at work? What, what, what tips do you have? Um, let me see. So I don't, I'm not a shouter. <laughs> like one, of, one of the running jokes we have is, man, guys, you're going to make Hilda shout because everybody knows I'm not a shouter. So if it gets to a point where like I'm agitated, you know, you've done something really wrong. 
Um, I would say rather than like I, I have got confidence in the workplace whom I can express myself too freely emotionally and it's been super helpful. Um, also my husband, right? He's like, the, I, I, sometimes I feel sorry for him. He's like the ultimate sounding board, poor guy, but I know he's up for it. Um, but I'd say there's, there's been times when I've been caught off guard. For example, this one time I had had a terrible day, terrible day. You know, when like you're, you're, la- you're on your last run up and I had to interview this lady and she came into my office for an interview. And then like, I, I, I kept trying to speak, but eventually just burst out crying. And I, I was like, this is a fellow woman. I'm actually role modeling something here. And I was like, there's two things I could do. I can excuse myself, go to the bathroom, traditional old school thinking, which probably I would have done if I was speaking like to an older male or something. I think I would have defaulted to that. But I was like, you know what? There's a moment of vulnerability. It's already happened. So just confide. And it's like, you know what? I'm really sorry about this. I'm having a horrible day. You know, sometimes it gets super, super emotional. I'm sorry I have to go through this. And she, funny thing is, I guess because she was a woman, she was like, you know what? What happened? So I gave her like an overview, nothing too detailed of what happened. I was like, yeah, I totally understand. I'm sorry I went through this. So the first 15 minutes ended, ended up being like some mutual commiseration. And I felt so much better after that. And I, and I was able to hold the interview. And I realized that when that one incident happened, I realized that now in times when I find myself emotionally vulnerable and it's already public, I'm just very open about it. I say, guys, I'm very, very sorry. Like, I'm even if it's shouting, like, I'm sorry I'm shouting at you. You know, I don't really like to shout, but this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. And that's where it's got me to. It's got me to this place. So how can, how can we de-escalate this? And when people see you vulnerable, you become a human being to them, which for me is important. Like, as a CEO, I don't put, think of me as a robot. This chick. Saying nothing moves her. I don't want to be that person. So when I'm happy, I express my joy. When I'm when I'm sad, I won't try to overly conceal it. There's a time actually I was so happy because we had closed a very big deal, like one of those life-changing deals, like in December, which is a dry month last year, that I got like five bottles of champagne and just said, guys, let's pop champagne. Like I had so much happiness in me. I wanted to share with everyone. So being authentic for me includes also not denying my emotions when they're visible. But I would say my darkest emotions, my biggest struggles, I technically, I'll, I'll, I'll typically keep for my two confidence in the office or just bring them home. Thanks, thanks Hilda. After um, such a high powered day and everything, how do you power <laughs> down? How do you switch from Hilda, the CEO of Jebberman, <laughs> Hilda, the mom of the boy and the wife and the home. How do you power down? How do you that? Man, you know, I don't know, but I think it's a number of things. First of all, it's my kid, right? Like if you walk in, it's smiling, mommy, did you bring me something yummy or something like that? And already you're just disarmed. Because if, if like, especially now that if it's home, the first thing between the house is is a smile from a child. It's not a chore, it's not an obligation. It's just a kid that wants to play. So I'm I'm automatically forced to power down and get into play mode, that's the first thing. But the second thing I think is that I don't, I'm a, I'm a very chilled person naturally. And I feel that my a lot of my public persona, a lot of me in public having to engage, having to talk, having to be proper, look a certain way, you know, have, have, have manicured nails, Madame CEO, all those pressures, I love them when I get home, I can take them all off. I'm the type of person who, um, you know, if I was a millionaire, I'd probably spend lots of my days indoors, quiet, maybe watching Netflix or reading a book. So so coming home for me, it's it's like a sanctuary. I'm like, oh, thank God, you're off duty, thank God. And I think that helps. So my natural, my natural persona also helps. 
the other thing i would say is we have a very decentralized household which i've come to realize is not common in nigeria but in uganda it's quite common and i think maybe i'm bringing that aspect of my upbringing a lot into a marriage where you don't have to always have supper at the table. You don't always have to, you know, it's good to eat together, but sometimes it's not possible. You don't always have to have fresh food every day. Sometimes microwaving is okay. So that that has kind of helped to reduce the pressure at home in areas that would make me combative or put me under pressure. Oh, come on, five, try and cook food, blah, blah, blah. Then you never, ever switch off. The fact that our house is a bit more, is a lot more laid back and that I'm a laid back person naturally means when I get home, I'm also tired. I don't want to be a CEO. I don't want to think. I want to chill and drink cocktails and play with my kids. Thanks, Hilda. <laughs> it takes a village to build a thriving career and family. How do you succeed? How do you make the best decisions wherever you are on your life journey? We all need relatable details and practical action from real people and situations to move forward. So join Isioma Asiodu Otuo on the Life Work podcast from Blazers and Baby, available on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. The Life Work Podcast from Blazers and Baby. Affirmations, roadmaps, and conversations for the modern African family.